Dr. Erica here. I'm so ready for this new episode and I know you're going to love it. This episode discusses the value, experiences, and legacy of HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities, including how they continue to influence the lives of our guests. This episode features a dynamic panel of HBCU graduates, including Dwayne Meekins, Brendan Moore, Dr. Robert Russell, and Joyce Stevens. They are leaders, educators, change agents, entrepreneurs, and people invested in community building. Joy is a graduate of Spelman College and is a corporate culture consultant and DE&I subject matter expert. Dwayne graduated from North Carolina A&T and is an entrepreneur and professor in esports and gaming at Johnson C. Smith University. Dr. Rob Russell is a graduate of Xavier University and a board-certified internist and geriatrician. And last but not least is Brendan Moore, who is a specialist in community building and an entrepreneur. So I bet you're wondering what questions this episode will answer, right? Okay, let's do it. It's going to answer, why do HBCUs matter? How do HBCUs prepare you for the quote, real world? What are surprise benefits of attending an HBCU? And what is special about these environments? Now this episode is filled with some good laughs, yes, straight up belly laughs, and shareable moments. Let me tell you how we do it in Better Nation. Just post about the episode, including your favorite lessons, moments, or quotes, and use the hashtag Better Nation on social media. That's all it is to it. See, it is so easy. And guess what? You're going to want to stay on until the last moment because this episode has something for everyone. It doesn't matter if you went to an HBCU or not. This episode will help you reminisce, understand the HBCU culture, and have more information to discuss educational choices. But rather than me keep going on and on, I just can't wait for you to hear the actual episode. So let's get to it. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to this episode of Better with Dr. Erica. And guess what? This is not a regular episode. This is a special episode. As you know, I am bringing my over 20 years of experience in human behavior as a Harvard-trained child, adolescent, adult psychiatrist directly to you. We have some people on here that are doctors. We have lots of degrees up in here. The thing I need to let you know is none of us are your doctor. So there is no medical advice or doctor-patient relationships going on on any bits of this podcast. But that doesn't mean it's not a great podcast, so you still need to stay tuned in. So I am so excited to bring this HBCU edition podcast to you. Now, if you're not all the way in the know and know what an HBCU is, that's a historically black college and university. Now, you know what? I decided I wasn't going to do this and just bring in my peeps from Spelman and Morehouse. I wasn't going to do that to you. So I brought in people from a variety of institutions so that we can have a well-rounded conversation. And I also made sure there were some men on the line so it wouldn't just be you hearing what the ladies think. So the funny thing I want to tell you is the quick thing is, is number one, we've had some banter 
before we got started. And it got to the point where two people started out with their college shirts on and the rest of us all had to put on something because we were not going to get, we weren't going to be. I can't say the word I'm thinking about because I have a DE&I person on here because it is probably not appropriate to say that word. But we were not going to get outdone, especially us from Spelman. We were not going to get outdone by these people from Xavier and North Carolina A&T. We were were not going to get, we weren't going to let that go down. And then you can't see our other guests who you've seen before, Be More. He has on, if you could be casket sharp in sweats and a hat, that is him today. He is casket sharp in a red. That would make anybody that was a Delta or a Kappa jealous because it is the perfect shade of crimson looking like it's fresh out the package. Not one single wrinkle, not one faded spot, no stretching in the collar <laughs> and his hat. The brim is perfect. If I didn't know better, I think there was a tag on the back. <laughs> I just wish you could see. But, you know, one of the promises I give is that we are not showing the video so you can show up any kind of way. But I just had to let you know that he decided he was going to be up in the house. And for you all, I did a favor. There's no one on Hampton on here because I did not want this to turn into the who's the real HU show. That would have never so, been an issue. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. So I, I know all of you all are probably wondering, well, who are these guests? Well, you might not be wondering because there's an actual episode intro. So I've technically already told you. It just hasn't been recorded yet. So let me quickly tell you who is going to be giving you all of the info today and it's in no particular order of importance because I love all of y'alls. So, okay. I don't want anybody in their feelings. But I'm going to go for my college roommate. <laughs> Who probably somehow will still be able to throw in a, the story of how we met. I will try which, not to. But I, if you haven't picked me first, I was going to. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's The way she tells the story... Is it's totally hilarious. I, I think I'll let her tell it just because it is just that funny and we're going to have some fun today is Joy Stevens. She's a corporate culture consultant in DEI, which stands for diversity, equity and inclusion subject matter expert for New Heights Aca- Academic and Leadership Consulting. I don't know why I always want to say ac- academy. She is also the head of learning and development for strategic diversity partners. Oh, my God, this is just so many words It's because she's just so great, which is a consulting firm that outsources DE&I for small <clears throat> to mid-sized companies. Now, the first thing is I want to say DE&I starts feeling like a tongue twister, um, even though it's not supposed to be. It's one step away from Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. That, yeah. Uh, but but the thing that's not in here, because we're, we're doing brief bios because I have so many bios to do and, you know, reading bios is not my ministry, is she's a Spelman grad. The funny thing that's hilarious is she always says she has the least degrees when actually she has more degrees than me because she technically has three because she was dual degree and also studied at Georgia Tech, has a BS in chemical engineering from there. And then also has an MBA. So she has three degrees. I only have two. So she technically has more degrees than me. 
um, and has done this wonderful growth from starting out in R&D to then going into training and sales and then ending up in diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is really her purpose and passion. And I'm just honored to not only just know her, for her to be one of my super friends, for her to be my best friend, and for her to be my college roommate. So take it away, Joy. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much, <laughs> Erica. And um, I, I'm excited to be here um, being a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant and subject matter expert. You know, I've I've made it my life's goal now to study different cultures, different backgrounds, the way people relate to each other, how we can see each other, be included, et cetera, and to feel like we belong. And so this particular topic today about being at HBCU and why I chose it and everything, that was my first um my first experience belonging somewhere, you know, and I think the the experience I had there has probably the beginning of the trajectory to where I am now. Um, but I'm just a little old girl from Houston, Texas. Uh, shout out to Third Ward. Shout out to Jack Yates. Shout out to High School for Health Professions real quick. And um, you're officially I, black. You did shout outs. I know. That's right. And, <laughs> and you know, what's interesting is I've, I've been on your show before and even the vibe today is different um, because of the subject matter, because of the people here, it's just something that feels like you belong. It feels like you're at home when you're around your other HBCU folks, even if it's a different HBCU. Yay. And I here, guess here. I, I'll, I'll let you, because you tell the story real quick. You can tell the people the story of how we met. I was going to tell it, babe, but I'm going to tell it now because it was going to come up. So the way that Erica and I met, um, she was my roommate sophomore and senior year. And our my freshman year, though, I met her second semester freshman year. I'm wandering around our uh, dorm, um, LLC one, which is for the for the smart kids. Well, for the honest kids at Spelman. And um, I see this little light skinned girl in the hallway with freckles like what what is she doing? And she's just kind of like pretending to play with the vending machine. I was like, well, are you all right? And she goes. Yeah, is this what I said? Apple juice. I was like, are you good? And so it was kind of like, you could tell she was a little out of it. She, she had asthma and she had a cold and she had taken too much medicine. So she was just lit in the hallway by accident. And so I help her get back to her room because she has hopped up on medication. And the funny thing is, Erica has never had a drink in her life. She has never taken any sort of drugs in her life. So yeah, when I say she got hopped up on cold medicine, I'm serious. And I helped her get back to her, her room. And she's like, you're my friend. I was like, oh, okay. You're good. All right. I'm going to leave you in here. And then I saw her again and again at around campus. And um, we developed a friendship from that point on because she was like, you saved me. I was like, it was just apple juice, girl. You're good. But um Again, finding ways to connect to each other. <laughs> we ended up living together our sophomore year. Took the this massive trip. That's the story that I'm not going to tell. Down to uh, Daytona, <laughs> Daytona. For Black College Weekend, our sophomore year. Y'all need to know. That's all you need to know. And uh, end up living again together, together mm-hmm. again off campus our senior year. And so uh, we've been thick as thieves ever since. But yeah, it started with a quest for apple juice. I saw our freshman year. <laughs> I swear every time she tells a story Something's different But that's one of the things you gotta love about Joy So <laughs> next up We have Dwayne To the Meekins He is a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University And if you all aren't in the nose The A&Ts are agricultural and technology So all the smart shit 
um, and went on to have a 20-year career um, in the Coast Guard immediately afterwards. And then he retired, y'all. This this dude is young. So I, I'm like, can can I be retired from something? Because he ain't, he ain't on here looking all old and stuff. This fool still has retired. It's in his bio that he then embarked upon a new adventure and became an entrepreneur, starting a game truck franchise in Charlotte, North Carolina. And his work in the name, his name in the community led to an opportunity to teach gaming and esports. <laughs> it's a class at Johnson C. Smith University. He and his wife also own Ballantine Booth, a premier photo booth company. So, you know, He's smart and he gets, I don't want to call it a hustle because this is all legit stuff he's really making happen. He does all of the things. So, Dwayne, do you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself? I think you told, you stole my thunder. You told it all. You sent <laughs> but, it all. <laughs> but no, that is, that is actually me in a nutshell. I am a uh, lifelong gamer and I like enjoying, uh, helping people enjoy themselves, especially after... Um, Especially since I retired, you know, I I worked hard for 20 years and now I want to help people have fun. So that's what I do now. All right. I mean, who can't be down with basically an ambassador of fun that is highly educated? So you can thank me later when you now have a new market title. If I see that on your website, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm the one that said ambassador of fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up. We have Brendan to the more, also known as Brendan Moore, also known as B Moore, also known as that dude from the roundup. (laughs) He has lots of names. He's done so much. He's been on the podcast before. You all love him. But hey, I don't bring anybody on here that's, that's not just totally with it. That's just my thing. And he's an entrepreneur. He has a background as an engineer, even though sometimes it's easy to forget that he was an engineer too. I know all these people that were engineers that I swear none of them actually do engineering anymore. Nope. We're all still <laughs> engineers. Not saying you aren't engineers. And shoot, I had to just take and peek him was enough that I'm like, I'd be walking around with a t-shirt that said I'm an engineer and I could be a chef now and be like, I'm an engineer. Yep. That was hard. That was hard work. But one of the cool things about him is he is a community builder, along with being an award-winning entrepreneur. This dude just starts businesses in his sleep, and he builds communities literally every single place he goes. It's it's pretty darn impressive. I met him actually on the edge of one of the communities he started years ago because there was a period of time if. Some of you I know that are listening probably actually went to HBCUs and some of you may not. And we love all y'all just the same is he was in doing alumni roundup. So a lot of people kind of knew about the roundup and hey, he's one of them roundup dudes, but he does so much more and I'll I'll let you in on a little thing. He's also, I, I always call him my wellness coach. I never know if that's what he really wants to be called. That's what I call them sometimes. And guess what, B? I waited to surprise you. Guess who finally worked out today? It was me. After I ghosted my Peloton for for forever, I finally worked out. So I I, I was like, I need to announce this on the podcast that I actually worked out. Tell them how you lost your earbuds for a week because they was on the Peloton and you didn't go over there. (laughs) 
Uh, well, I believe you just, I believe you just. That's friendship. That is HBCU friendship right there. So next up, we have, since we're going to use government names for a hot second, Dr. Robert Russell, also known affectionately as Rob Russell, who is representing Xavier University in Louisiana, all up in the his house. And he is a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> and I, I wonder sometimes if that's why he likes wearing Xavier stuff, because it's black and gold. <laughs> Angle line makes it easy. <laughs> <laughs> he he does a whole lot of stuff. He does work with hospice, a lot of work with people in aging. Um, he's a geriatric trained physician. Um, does a lot of work with post care, uh, post acute care, and also has done a lot in leadership. And has decided that, like a lot of people, two degrees aren't enough. He needs one more. So he's working on an MBA because. Two degrees just aren't enough for him. He just he just wants mo. In the middle of raising all these kids, and his wife is real cool. I know her. He's like, I just want one more degree. <laughs> she would have to be cool to let me do this while we got teenage kids. I mean, she would have to be cool. <laughs> like we're supposed to be done by now. What you doing? <laughs> I know. So are you gonna tell? Is there anything else you want to tell the peoples other than you represent Xavier? Oh. Uh, other than I'm representing Xavier, representing the South Side of Chicago, everybody that watched A Different World and thought they could go to an HBCU and find a Whitley Gilbert, I was lucky enough to find mine. And uh, that's what I'm repping today. Oh my God, this is a great conversation. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more conversation from my amazing guest and yours truly on Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for What's Up with Dr. Erica. You know how we've been stuck in this pan to the dimmick for what feels like forever? Well, I stopped traveling, but I recently went back on the road for work. Now, this is something major because I actually worked in the city I lived in for 15 months, which has never even happened since I finished my training. But, you know, it's a pandemic, so things are different. Well, as I said, I went back on the road and I must admit that it feels familiar and odd all at the same time. It is so different with social distancing, being aware of the proximity of people, the changes in even the Sky Club, and wearing masks. Even the act of being out of town feels different. I remember the days of having housekeeping clean my room and make my bed every day, and also being able to explore around the cities I'm in. But it's a little bit different right now. But I'm really enjoying the opportunity to help people. I just want to remind you that things may not always feel the same. The conditions have changed. You have changed. So be open to making adjustments because adaptability is the name of the game. But remember that it may take practice. So if being adaptable or shifting doesn't feel natural, it's okay. You just keep trying. You've got this. Back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. We're not going to do all these this or that questions because there's going to be plenty of banter. You already are starting to get to know everybody. You really just don't need that extra stuff. So we're going to get right to it. So my, my first question to everybody is 
How did you choose your HBCU? I want to jump in. <clears throat> we had a, a glitch that didn't allow me to give my say something piece after. And oh, what I want to so use my time so to do. Don't apologize. It's all good. It wasn't your fault. Actually, it was Meekin's fault for mocking everybody. <laughs> but I'm going to say what I wanted to say. Um, Dwayne short sold himself. And so Captain Fun is one thing. But he's using games as a way to really increase mentoring in our mm -hmm. communities. Uh, he's working with police, uh, local police. He's working with the YMCA on a regular rolling basis. None of this is just gaming. And I know he loves games. Uh, but it's a vehicle for him mm -hmm. to really make impact in our community. So I didn't want that to go without being said. And also, when you mentioned Roundup stuff, um, there was a site for uh, North Carolina A&T, and Dwayne was a critical part in putting that together and even came up with the name, the Aggie Nation. Mm. So wow. never undersell yourself, bro, and I'm not going to allow it. We ain't having it. Mm. I appreciate it. I appreciate and and it. That, that is something that happens often in HBCU culture, as people are like, yeah, do some stuff, and then you'll be like, but people want you to run for president of the country, but you just say you just do stuff. So a lot of times people move very quietly, and don't Real actually talk about out. what uh -huh. what they're actually doing. So, you know, I appreciate the fact that we are demonstrating that sometimes there are times other people have to speak up for you because you just kind of hold all that greatness yep. on the inside. True indeed. I flew out to uh, CES, Consumer Electronics Show, in January to do a show, and I brought retired Commander Dwayne Meekins out there with me who was able to really have my back while I was on cam and let me know what's going on. What are we talking about? What am I missing? What technologies do we need to know? So this HBCU network, just to jump into it, really is hugely important because we've established these relationships of trust over the years. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's I'm sorry to derail that first part, but I didn't get my moment. So I want to use it. Thank you. Well, this is this is a conversation. And everything was just an outline, so it's fine. Go. But one of one of the reasons I think it is important to just pause here for a moment is sometimes we lose some networking opportunities because we're all moving in silence. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. you don't even know what the folks around you are doing because mm -hmm. you just you just know what kind of drink they like and what shows they like and, and and what random memes are their favorite and what TikToks they like. Or, or where y'all like to hang out or what your favorite college memories are. And sometimes we don't always talk about what we're actually doing in real life. Today is my first day meeting you, um, Dwayne. But as you were speaking, I'm like, I got some folks I want to introduce you to that are looking specifically for the type of thing that you're doing um, that are in the games industry. And I'm like, I got to hook you up with, with my boys, you know, so. Awesome. Yeah. That's one of the things cool. that I really like doing now that I'm in the space of being an entrepreneur is mm -hmm. um, connecting other mm -hmm. people. Um, similar to the way Be More just did, like, we, we tend not to brag on ourselves. I brag on folks for them. Anywhere I go, matter of fact, I just heard Erica introduce herself differently. I was like, oh, I got to learn the new introduction because I have gotten real, uh, real comfortable saying double board trained, double board certified Harvard trained psychiatrist. And then I just heard something else. I was like, I got to learn the new gig. You know, Girl, so that still works. That still works. <laughs> it still works. I remix it so everybody don't hear me saying the same thing all the time. Gotcha. I got to get the remix. And piggybacking on all that, I, I, I've got to get everybody's contact information because there's so much opportunity for us to continue not only these conversations, but to see what other mm -hmm. opportunities there are for us in the future. 
I'm going to say this, that's one of the beauties. We jumped on without knowing each other, uh, some of us, and it didn't feel unfamiliar. That's one of the beauties of the HBCU experience. By virtue of you going to an HBCU and you being friends with someone on this panel, it felt like a friendship already. And that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about being an HBCU grad. If I know somebody that went to Morehouse or Spelman or Hampton, if you're with them and you're cool with them, you're cool with who they're with and you get to move in that circle. I, I really enjoyed that part of my HBCU experience. You know, it's like a it's a giant family. Like, you know, you go to a family reunion and if it's big enough, you don't know them people over there on the other side. But that's your auntie's cousin, sister's daughter's child and her and her new husband and his people. And the next thing you know, you playing spades with everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like all HBCUs are like one big family and we're just all cousins. You know, like Mm -hmm. I through y'all now through through me, y'all got connections to Texas Southern, to uh, Prairie View because, you know, I got my folks back home. Um, shout out at who are also real G's moving in silence. I mean, as I got older, I realized I know people that are working in the governor's office. I know people that are working in Fortune 200s, you know, um, that are that have VP level uh, responsibilities that are hiring managers. You know, before we used to all just go to Black College Weekend together. Now I'm like, wow, you are. You're an important person and I have your personal cell phone number. And sometimes we don't use that to the advantage that we should to help each other. It's not about taking taking advantage of each other. It's about helping each other make those connections so we can build up the larger community, which is what I think we tend to stay focused on, even when we don't realize we're focused on. Well, to jump on what Bmore said, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, y- you got to give each other our roses. And he did not want it to go unnoted what uh, our other Dwayne is doing. And mm-hmm. sometimes we are cool with hanging out with each other. But sometimes it's also telling somebody, hey, man, I'm proud of what you're doing. And I'm proud of the man or the the woman you've become. And other people need to know how how special you are. We tend to be a little humble about that. You know, we we tend to not want to brag on ourselves because that's seen as being cocky or or sometimes uh, uh, bougie. But, you know, to to the real effect is it's what we need to do. Because just from that, there's some connections being made because now there's some other like, oh, OK, now we need to really talk about some things. So I, I really mm-hmm. appreciate be more giving him his roses on this panel, because that says not only a lot about Dwayne, that says a lot about be more. That says a mm-hmm. lot about just the connectivity in general. But, you know, I want y'all to know how important this brother is, because a lot of times we it's easy for us to talk about ourselves. Give us a few minutes. We'll talk about ourselves. It's really nice and refreshing, particularly, I'm going to say this, you got black men on this panel. For black men, it's important for us to continue to pat each other on the back. And mm-hmm. I really, really like that. I was very, that was very impressive. That is like the perfect segue because I know one of the things I didn't know going into the HBCU experience at Spelman <clears throat> was that I was becoming part of a larger community. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was really aware of those meetings of community and legacy. But what were some of the biggest surprises for you with your experience, either at an HBCU in general or your institution? Ooh, I want to go. My first thing. (laughs) 
my biggest surprise, and it was a pleasant surprise, it was it was liberating, it was freeing, was to realize everybody in my freshman class at Spelman College was just as smart as I was. Mm. Because I had been, <clears throat> to some extent, hiding that um, in the high school I went to, middle school, elementary school. You know, don't let them see you do too much. They'll resent it. Don't let them see you be too full of yourself, too smart, too cocky. You don't always have to answer the question, et cetera, et cetera. And the next thing I know, I'm surrounded by people who are like, I know the answer too. Oh, you graduated as a number one. So did I. So did the other 35 girls on this floor. We all smart. And it wasn't about it wasn't about me not feeling special. It was about me feeling regular. You know, I am just another one of the sea of black intelligent women out here. And I don't have to hide who I am. I can flex. Like if you if you follow comics or you follow uh, the, the DC universe, as a matter of fact, Superman, every now and then he'll come up against an enemy that is just as strong as he is. And he's like, I'm glad I'm fighting you because now I can just let it all hang out. I can just go for broke. And that's how I felt when I came to Spelman. I was like, I can go for broke. I can be as smart, as nerdy, as uh, detailed, uh, as intelligent as I want to be. And they're going to celebrate me for it instead of trying to make me feel bad about it. And that was the best thing about my freshman year. All right now. I'll piggyback on that. For me, it was I was in gifted classes since fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And you are there's not a lot of people who look like you in those classes. Mm-hmm. So when I got to A&T and like Joy said, realize that I'm well, I knew I wasn't special. But when you get to just be normal, that's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. And it was and it's also refreshing because now the burden isn't on me to be uh, representative of all black people and my failings don't translate to other black people's failings. So if if I don't have a good test score or I've, maybe I stayed up too late and and I didn't test well, but that's not now reflective of what black people's intelligence level is. And not having that burden and pressure was a huge relief. Mm-hmm. You said a lot. You know, you, you talk about burden and lifting that burden. And so that's huge. I think we should definitely dive into that. Um, I would say for one of the surprises, I'm not surprised, one of the things that I definitely noticed even, even today looking back on it is I had more black male PhDs as my professor or at a, as black male teachers at any level I've ever had in education at my HBCU. You know, so having, you know, every one of my black male uh, professors be doctor somebody it's just it's just awesome and having come from uh new jersey in the school system i came through i i didn't have any black male teachers before that so that was incredible that was my one um note there for for me it was kind of like uh the initial uh comment but the opposite so i went through honors classes in high school and to speak to Dwayne's effect, you're told you're an exception, not the rule. You know, you're special, you're different. And sometimes you actually internalize that. You internalize that feeling that you're special, you're different, and you think there are not others like you. And I had to go to Xavier and realize that, man, there's a bunch of people that are like me, and there are a lot of people who are smarter than me. And had to figure out, now nah, I got to compete against them and learn how to compete, but also build friendships with them. That was the difference, too. 
And I think that getting back to the burden being lifted, it was also eye opening. It was eye opening to see that I was this kid from the south side of Chicago in classrooms with kids whose dads were lawyers and judges and doctors already. And having friendships being built from that, their family, their their family members were already uh, high level people in companies and things like that. And they're my friends. Um, And that made it, like you said, it made it home and it made it more like I can be normal with all of these people from New Jersey, from Cali, from all over. And we all got these similarities. And that's the thing that really helps you to grow and to see that even when you leave the HBCU, you have this community that allows you to help you compete and stand out. And I I just love all of this because it's really hitting on two huge things, which is just the supportive nature, what it's like to see people that actually look like you, that have a culture of excellence, mm. and and also how seeing those things changes your self-talk to yourself. So, you know, sometimes we talk on here about the better seven, those seven essential areas that are important for you to have that better life. And two of them are self-talk and support. So I wanted to say that, but I also want to say one of the things that happened for me was realizing the impact. And some of this, I feel like it sunk in a little bit more after I left, was what it was like going to school where there was literally no racism or sexism. Hmm. Especially as a a black woman is going through school in your everyday experience, not being wrapped up in how do my professors think about me because I'm black? What do they think because I'm a woman? What's going to happen on campus? Our campus was really safe. It was primarily women. It's just a lot of things that were just totally off the plate. So it was just a place of excellence where there wasn't a single time I feel like anybody would say you can't do that or that's not possible because you're a woman or because you're black. And just subconsciously what it meant to be in that type of environment. And I don't think I had really thought much of it before I went and until I got there. And then I really thought about it when I left because as a lot of us on this panel have done is then I went to graduate school with the whites which was very different going to Emory University School of Medicine was the polar opposite of my Spelman experience. I see you laughing, B. I I see you muting yourself while you laugh. I'm over here. I'm with you. I'm just making sure that we're going to actually be able to play this podcast without getting shut down. (laughs) I want to jump back for one second because you said something key. You said, when you said, uh, I went to college and there was no racism or sexism. I paused. I was like, wait, what? There was no sexism because I'm thinking I went to school in the 90s. Hip hop was rape, rape culture at the moment. It was sexism all over the place. But one important difference is that you went to Spelman. And, and I think that you shouldn't pass by that so fast. It is your normal, but you should explain because it's not my normal. So why was your experience at Spelman different from mine? Right, because I paused too, and I went to Spelman. I was like, "Wait, what?" Oh, yeah, yeah we had we Cause, cause it was Morehouse boys off. It was different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it was you were at school with a bunch of women. Our leadership was women. I had some male professors, 
It wasn't the majority of my professors, though. I had some men professors, but, you know, like we always, you'll hear us when you've heard episodes with Joy and I talk about um, Dr. Gilliard, like the Mm -hmm. infamous organic chemistry person. Most of our chem instructors, I only had two that were male and they were actually both in G-chem. It was my G-chem professor, Dr. Thompson, and I can't remember the gentleman that did chem lab. He was male. That Mm -hmm. was it. That was everybody male. I was a biochemistry major. Out of all those zillions of chemistry classes I took, there were two dudes. Mm -hmm. Out of all my English classes, one dude. And he was kind of cool because he was a comedian. (laughs) So he he was a comedian. He'd also talk about strippers. It was really interesting because he'd say he'd see some of his students at strippers. Well, you were in Atlanta, so. (laughs) Yes, yes. We were in Atlanta. Um, But it, it was just, I think, because you saw women that were in prominent positions, you know, women that were chairs of departments, women that were Mm -hmm. president of the, of the college, that it just gave a totally different culture. And then the fact that, you know, our, our security carry guns. Mm -hmm. They, it was, they said they got live ammunition. So they're just wasn't a lot of shenanigans. Dudes Not knew when they could come on campus, they would quickly get kicked off of campus. And so it just made it made a safe space that you didn't even realize was a safe space till you get to other places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it really was a sanctuary. You know, like there were times, especially, you know, you've been out at night, you're trying to get back from Club Fritz because you missed the last bus back to campus from the club and so you're trying to figure out how to walk home and there was this feeling of if I can make it to the gate you know then I'll be good I'll be safe and so it absolutely was a feeling of campus-wide security if I can make it to Spelman's back gate if I can get in the parking lot I'm good I'm home you know and um yeah I think we, we came up we came through Spelman during the era of Dr. Janetta B. Cole and she she is an icon she is a legend and um, we struggle to talk about her without getting emotional. Don't make me cry. I know, right? We, we, we sensitive. And to backtrack to B, I will reframe that. I went to an institution that was not a historically black college or university for medical school. That was a university that had a very different culture than Spelman. Mm-hmm. Right. We tend to call those PWI. If you've heard that phrase, it stands for predominantly white institution. Yeah. And um, I had the same experience when I transferred through the dual degree program from Spelman to Georgia Tech. Tech is an excellent school and they have a very large population. But one of the reasons they graduate so many black engineers is because of that dual degree program. Mm -hmm. Um, You have Spelman, Morehouse, um, Clark, and actually a couple other schools that are feeding into Georgia Tech, specifically black engineering students. But there was a difference in, I'd say, nurturing from the experience I'd had my first three years of Spelman, being told I can be anything, do anything, um, being number one is up for grabs for anybody, you know, to the people who had come in as African-American students starting at Georgia Tech and being, you know, student number 498643, you know, and not getting that, you know, special family feel, that nurturing, that even if you fail to start, get up and do it again, I believe in you. I mean, I mean, I don't know, I don't know because I, didn't have that experience when I was at Georgia Tech, having a teacher tell me, so what? I still believe you can be more. I still believe you can do better. Yo, so what? You failed this test. We failed a couple. You know, um, get back up, do it again. You know, you missed this. Um, 
I think you're worth so much more. I got that yeah. at Spelman. And I know that the Morehouse boys got that at Morehouse too. And so that is, again, that extension of family. They treated me like my mom would treat me if I mess up. Girl, get up. And you can do better. I know you're better than this. And getting that is different. Yeah, like like what we got after we missed that organic. Is that Black College Weekend coming up again? Yeah, we missed the test. Sorry. I I think, was that Dwayne? I'm going to piggyback on that. I think Rob. I'm going to piggyback on that because actually I went into, like I said, Xavier, thinking that I was the exception, not the rule, to sophomore. So Xavier used to send out a letter. And they sent it to your family telling you what your chances of getting into med school were. And uh, up until I pledge, not there's no disrespect to my brothers of my chapter, but that that year, that uh, semester after I pledged, my letter went home. I had zero chance of getting into med school. That's what my letter said. Ooh. And that went to my parents. So I, I got a rough phone call saying, one more letter like that, you coming home. But I also had a very good uh, support system in, in, at Xavier that they sat me down and said, we're going to turn this around. And it went from I'm not supposed to have any chances of getting in to now I'm on this panel, a doctor who's fellowship trained. And these are the stories that aren't told, because if I was at a PWI, I don't know if they would have sat me down and said, we're going to turn this around and you're going to get into med school because we know you can get into med school. But at Xavier, well, they wouldn't have expected you to do anything. Exactly. Better. At Xavier, they sat me down and said, you were on a trajectory. You had 100 percent acceptance. You went to zero. We got to fix this. What's going on? And they sat with me and they worked with me and they got me to the finish line. And that's where, you know, like you said, it's it's when you said getting to that back gate, there was something about getting on campus, being on campus, whatever historically black college you go to, where it was home, it was safe. And people were going to tell you, don't worry about how you struggled. We're going to prepare you for how to succeed. And that was the thing. So when I got to, and Erica knows this, and reason I'm on this panel because me and Erica became really good friends when she was in St. Louis and I was in St. Louis Medical School. And I struggled in medical school. And a lot of it was because of my own volition. I'm not even going to fault the medical school so much. But Erica also became a part of my support system. Erica sometimes would just take me out to lunch at Cold, at Cold Peppers. Peppers. We go get the wings. And she'd be like, how are things going? Do you need anything? And it was because she knew she had made it. And she's like, Rob, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it too. Don't worry about that. Then it's people like Erica who went to Spellman, who saw something in this Xavier right to say, let me help you along, even if it's getting your mind off of this pharmacology test you got to have let me buy you lunch so you cannot think about that 
and we can just talk talk mm-hmm. about life and we can talk about the other side. I was actually able to pay Erica back a few years later. I'm buying her lunch. <laughs> she's like, she's I was like, I, I owe you so many lunches, you can't pay for nothing around me forever. <laughs> so, so the last time we were in St. Louis together, I wouldn't even let her pay for her food. She's like, Oh, and I'm like, nope, you cannot pay for anything with me for a while. <laughs> I owe you too many lunches. But it's that support system. It is that family that you find. And that came out of, you know, us having that shared experience. She knew how it was for her to get through Harvard. She figured out she could help me get through St. Louis University. And that's what the beauty of it is. Y'all going to make my eyes be sweating (laughs) this whole episode. And I'm going to jump in and and piggyback on uh, what Joy was talking about. The I was a communications major, but I changed my major my second semester of my sophomore year. So I transferred into the department and I I really enjoyed the work. And my favorite professor then and still now is still at the university. Uh, I've actually introduced V uh, to her, but she believed in me before I believed in me. She saw yes. something there and mm-hmm. she would say you need to do this. And because I had transferred into the department, I had friends that had taught me a lot of things. And she said, well, you need to do this thing. You need to do that thing. And I said, well, the guys who are teaching me this stuff aren't doing those things. So why should I do those things? She said, you've surpassed them. And it, it took me a while to grasp that. And she recommended that I go to, I intern at the for the Atlanta Committee for Olympic Games mm. in the summer of 95. And I actually met my wife there. But she said, ah. we're sending the, the best to this internship and you have to apply. It, it wasn't a, uh, a recommendation. It was, young man, this is what you're doing because you're, you're capable and you can handle it. And... We also used to host the NABJ short course at our school. Actually, we still do. And as a communications major, you can't take the equipment home. I can't do mm-hmm. homework. So mm-hmm. I'm in the studio all the time. My roommates had the number to the studio because it's early 90s. Nobody had cell phones. But my roommates knew if I wasn't at home, I was probably in the studio. So they would call the studio if they needed me for something. And But I'm a night owl, too, and I always have been. So... This professor would sleep on the couch while I'm in the studio doing what I do. And I appreciated it then. I appreciate it even more now. I've told her so. But I would be there till two or three in the morning and she couldn't leave me by by myself. So she would because she had to lock the studio up. But she would sleep on the couch in the studio. She was married, had kids. But she did that because she told me later, years later, when I actually went back and like, probably uh sappy sappily thanked her because i was like you don't know how much i appreciated that but she was like you were passionate and i wanted to feed that i didn't want to detract from that so i wasn't gonna let you do what you felt like you needed to do and figure out the equipment in the studio because you can't take it home but i don't know that that happens at another place you know is is a professor at a PWI going to sleep on the couch so I can figure out what I'm mm-hmm. doing in the studio. 
and what I want to do. And a lot of times it would just be, I'm just in there figuring out stuff and playing around. And oh, I want to do this on the next show. I want to do this on the next show. I wasn't actually always working on a project. Sometimes she was just allowing me to experiment. But she did that for me because she saw something in me. You know, I'm going to put my DE and I hat on for a second because um, I'm thinking about everything you're saying. That that First off, that's a mother's mm. love, mm. you know. And we talk about this idea of family. And there's there are different types of biases. I, I teach this all day, every day. One of them is similarity, also known as affinity bias. You have something in common with you have something in common with someone, and because of that, you have an affinity or a desire to see them in a good light, to give them the benefit of the doubt, et cetera, et cetera. And that is one of the things that I don't know that we've consciously talked about, but we've been talking about it this whole time is the affinity that we have for each other. Because I see in you my cousin, my child, my my uncle, my aunt, et cetera. And so she saw you as, like I said, as one of her children that she would go above and beyond because she didn't have the barrier of you looking differently from her family. You were another one of her kids. And I think that is the specialness that you get from an HBCU when you have a lot of black professors, a lot of black leaders, et cetera, is they see you as a child of theirs that they want to nurture and raise and there's, I think at a PWI, you do have, um, you do have professors who may be white or Asian or whatever that may see another person in their demographic that they want to take a special interest in. The schools are generally bigger. They may have too many kids to have personal time with because most HBCUs are smaller in um, population. And so again, that's part of what makes it so special is we get the parent for a change as opposed to other people who may have that natural affinity at a PWI. And it's something you just can't get anywhere else. And um, I think we keep we, the more we keep talking about family, that's all absolutely a part of it. It's, it's a point in where an affinity bias works in our favor for a change. Listen, this conversation is nothing without you. So stay right here and we'll be back in a few moments. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for the better tip of the week. Guess what? I worked late today and didn't leave the hospital until 8 o'clock p.m. Yes, I said 8 p.m. Now this could have been a catalyst for misery, but it wasn't. And let me tell you, I'm a person that I do like leaving work on time. So here is the tip. It's great to identify a few things to have in your instant make your day better toolbox. Think of three things that instantly bring you joy or make you smile. It can be a song, activity, movie, etc. For me, one of those things are Christmas movies. Yes, I said it. Those cheesy Christmas movies. Now, Christmas movies instantly lift my mood. They make me just smile and so happy. So as soon as I got home, I turned on one of them while I made some dinner. And now it doesn't even matter that I worked really late. So now after you finish this podcast... Make your list of mood-lifting activities. Start using them. That's it. You have to use them at some point. Now back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. Um, we were talking earlier about giving each other the roses now. And uh, we talked about how uh, oftentimes we shy away from kind of even representing our own accolade well. And I think the counterbalance may be one of the reasons we don't do that is because we all know that we have so much mm. work to do. You know, in our communities, we have so much ground to cover in order to be healthy, 
um, you know, forward thinking, proactive, uh, thriving communities in, in many areas of our lives that you feel like the thing you haven't done is not enough. And so you, there's nothing to brag on because I got so much mm-hmm. to cover. Right. Um, so I, I threw that in there just because what you said, Joy, just made me kind of reflect on that. Um, at an HBC, at my HBCU, I had a, a white professor uh, in my major. Now, we talked about engineering earlier, saying how, you know, many engineers who are not engineers anymore. And I beg to differ. We're all still engineers because when you go through the hardest undergraduate major there is, you can come out of undergraduate engineering and be a professional. You can't do that with anything else. You've got to go to another school to be a lawyer, another school to be a doctor to get your professional board certification. Engineering, come out of undergrad, get to work. So you're changed going through this experience. And there's there's one professor, his name is Bruce Schimming in my undergraduate um, uh, career. And I remember one of the things that I got there versus I got at my PWI was the idea that someone would focus on me to challenge the hell out of me. It wasn't just the nurturing side. There was, so there wasn't just the character. There was also the rod per se, mm-hmm. you know? So this guy focused and, and called me out because I wasn't living to my potential, right? Like mm-hmm. I came in, I, did, I clearly remember I did a, a research report. I had to come and do oral presentation as a part of that. And I probably, you know, I had had enough professional experience like through internships and stuff. I knew that what I was doing was, would, would pass the muster elsewhere. But that wasn't enough for this guy. You know, he cared enough about his students. It wasn't about me. It was about his students to say, oh, you could have done a lot better than that. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a C. And I knew that wasn't a C. Like, I knew that wasn't a C. That, sh- that joint should have flown. But he was like, but I welcome you to do it again. Come on back. And, like, you know, just read me my, you know, the riot act on what I didn't do. Now, I knew it was enough. But that, that idea that, that enough existed was what he challenged. Right. So I came back in. I did it again. I went above and beyond what I thought was necessary. I think I crushed everybody else in the class. And it was only because he cared enough to challenge me on it. And of course, I got an A. So mm-hmm. there's that other thing. You know, I never want people. I, I have conversations often with people who only went to PWIs. And there's this there's definitely a barrier there. It's similar to the barrier that we have sometimes in our community when you're talking to uh, like another black person who's not from the United States about something that's happening in the United States. And there's a, there's a barrier there. You're talking to somebody from the Caribbean, close friend of yours, you know, but something crazy is happening in America. And then there's now this, this, this distinguishment between Caribbean black and you crazy American blacks. <laughs> you know, I find that we have this sometimes in this conversation. I'd love to hear you guys take on this is when you're talking to other black uh, professionals and scholars who didn't go to HBCUs, how does that conversation go? when the idea of an HBCU preparing you for uh, navigating true America Mm. comes up. How do you guys, how do you guys hear that conversation and how do you handle it? Well, I love you deciding to be an interviewer on my show. You got a co-host. You have a co-host. You are good though. <laughs> it's all he, say, so he always has to do it. Like you invited me in this space, you know yeah, who I am. We going. That's what I said. Is I knew it was going to happen, so, so it's not. It's it's up to so, expectation. 
So, so for me, down. it was uh, Dr. Tawana Jordan-Stark. She is now president of a university. She was a chemistry professor at the time. She actually gave me her personal home cell phone number. I was a chemistry major at Xavier. And she she was the one that called me out. She was the one that called me out uh, all the time in her chemistry lab class. She would tell me, you know, to she I I tried to charm my way through versus just doing the work. And she wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. She was like, do the work. Like, don't charm your way through, do the work. And I actually thanked her some years later. But to speak to your question, when I talked to it, in med school, and Erica may have had a similar experience, in med school, you'll go to school with people from other Ivy League schools, PWIs, and they'll want to talk about how they're prepared for their experience and want to sometimes say that they're more prepared than you are. When I sat in my med school class, I remember talking to a uh, someone that went to a PWI saying something similar to, to that effect to me, and I said, we ended up in the same seat, and I went to Xavier. So you you can miss me with you going to an Ivy League school and you thinking that's better than what my experience was when we ended up in the same place. So for me, it was kind of as we were almost trained to be ready at Xavier for that. They they told us from the get go to never feel like you were inferior, that you earned that seat just like anybody else did. And you were there just like everyone else to do what you needed to do. So those conversations often were, for me, I shut them down. You know, I'm like, let's not talk about that because I don't think you're more prepared than I am. And in a lot of instances, I felt, I felt more prepared than they were because I knew that there were going to be certain things that were going to be withheld from me. And I still needed to fight through that and find my community which a lot of times I did with either people in my class. I had a large number of people that were from Xavier, from Morehouse, from Spelman. So we kind of formed our own coalition <laughs> and we made it a point that we were all getting through. That was just our point. And then we brought other people along with us. And I think that's where we kind of fought through that kind of conversation of those differences. Now, as I've gotten out and been more professional, since I've uh, graduated and been practicing, I do find it interesting, particularly talking to some of my Caribbean friends and some of my friends who are um, direct descendants from Africa who are practicing, when we talk about black and white issues in America, that sometimes is where that conversation gets real interesting. Because they don't understand a lot of times the historical uh, context to a lot of the issues that we have. Mm -hmm. And they often have a lot of questions like, why is this? Because when they were over in England studying, it wasn't like that for them. But then when they come over here to work, there these things that they're being told they can't do, they can't say, where they can't live, you know, and they're like, why is that when that wasn't necessarily the context of where their movements were throughout the rest of the world? And then it's like, we're having those conversations, particularly when you tell somebody, oh, don't go over there. <laughs> you, you're not going to be safe over there. And you're like, well, I'm not going to be safe over there. Uh, just trust me. Just stay on this side of town. You good over here. And so so a lot of times they don't mm -hmm. understand those boundaries, those those unknown boundaries that we've put up in America 
for certain things. And that's been the crust of a lot of those conversations. Well, you know, a lot of it stems from the exposure that they've had to black America. Because if you're if you're if your understanding of what it means to be black in America comes from the news Mm -hmm. and movies you're going to believe what the news and the movies are telling you, which is the same thing that uh, the white majority believes about black Americans. And so I've, um, again, in the work that I do, I've run across this multiple times, not just with other um, blacks, but other nationalities. You know, there's a reason that the world thinks that specifically descendants of slaves are lazy, shiftless, living in the ghetto, et cetera, et cetera, because that is the message that was put forward to the world from um from this country, from the United States. It's in our news, you know, black on black crime. What about Chicago? Like all these phrases and catchphrases that that I hear as I'm talking through stuff all the time, you know, well, is it gang related? Man, gang initiation has been on the downward slope since the eighties, but they're still watching colors, you know? So the idea that we are not what we have been portrayed, it's not, um, it's not their fault that they misunderstand because when would they have gotten that information until they come here and they learn and they discover the matter where you're from, there's only, you get, there's, there's only four flavors in the United States, black, Hispanic, Asian, and white. And that's it. You, you pick one and you roll with it because like fun fact, the word Hispanic is yep. something America created. You're not Hispanic anywhere else. You are the country that you're from, you know? So again, we got a lot of issues in this country and, um, it's good. Uh, just sticking to the topic again, it's good for us to have had a safe space so we can understand each other in a different way. Because I know leaving Texas and going to Georgia to go to school and meeting um, <laughs> real th- real talk, growing up in on the south side of Houston, I thought that Baptist was a black religion because that's all I ever saw was mm-hmm. black Baptist. And I thought that Catholics was white. Like, that's all I saw. That's all I knew. Y'all can giggle if you want to. I see you. But um, it wasn't until I went to, I met people from New Orleans when I went to uh, Spelman. I was like, what do you mean you're Catholic? You're Black. I don't understand. You know, because I hadn't seen that before. And then understanding all the different nuances of Black life and Black culture. There's like a million different ways to be Black in the United States. And you compound that exponentially when you talk about being Black in the world. You know, there's so many different ways to be that. And to not understand somebody else's reality. So this is why it's important to talk to people, to travel, to get to know folks outside your uh, circle of friends, beyond the end of your nose, et cetera. That's how you learn to understand humanity. You you hit the nail on the head for me, Joy. I remember like my freshman year in those first two weeks when freshmen get there before upperclassmen. I remember clearly sitting like standing in front of the gym and there was a lot of freshmen around is, is this two girls from Texas and this one dude from DC and they were sitting there talking and like, it was just a moment. It was like everything slow motion. I was like, man, first of all, I ain't never seen a black girl look like her before. Cause that's how they, that's they, she bringing that from Texas, all that Texas on her right there. I never even been to Texas, you know? <laughs> and, and like just that, that, that idea that there is not a, this, this one way of being black in America or one look or one way of styling. And that was a big discovery point for going to an HBCU was just not being Franklin from the Charlie Brown piece, you know, the black character, yeah. but having an array of characters from all over the world. And that happened at Howard for me. Better with Dr. Erica. One thing people underestimate is you have larger HBCUs like Howard and Fam that are, they're big. 
like Spelman is, we could, we could, and North Carolina a and I'm sorry, I haven't been to your campus yet. Um, my bad. See, that's why we brought you. <laughs> we got we you. the biggest. It, it, is that right could, now, today, we, could, we, we are the largest. Great. And we could walk into end of our campus in 10 minutes. Like nope. you, you could walk from your dorm to the total other side in 10 minutes or less because we were that small. But one of the things I think people, people think smaller or different and they think not as good. And one of the things that happened for us is we didn't have TAs for anything. All of my chem labs were taught by PhD level professors. So it's one of those things when you, it's almost like when you're looking at sometimes it's not all the stuff, you know, I, I didn't even have an email in college, you know, <laughs> it's just keeping it real. And they redid the science building after we left. Cause it was, it was not sexy when we were there it was, there was nothing sexy about it, mm. but it was the knowledge and the care that people brought. So it wasn't that it was the most technologically big situation, but we had access to experts. Our president walked along the grounds and knew us all by mm -hmm. name. There was just a certain level of access and excellence and information. And you add the fact that we were actually getting a very quality education in smaller settings, so all of our professors knew us. We mm -hmm. could access all of them. It wasn't a situation where the only time we could access our professor was office hours or talk to a TA. We had access to literally everybody. And you had this access, this high-quality education mixed in with the fact that since people actually believe in you and believe you're worthy and you're not dealing with some of these other societal issues in this context is literally you come out thinking you can do everything. So I feel like one of the biggest gifts we got, other than the fact that we had such access to the quality education we had, was the amount of resilience that we were taught. So we were literally taught and coached into resilience so that when you bump upon these other situations, which are out there, um, which a lot of us even experienced when we were in graduate school, is that you were prepared. You, you were prepared, number one, because your underlying narrative wasn't, I'm not supposed to right. be here. Yeah. Your underlying narrative wasn't, I can't do this, or they told me I can't do this. Your underlying narrative from going to school with these HBCUs is, I can do this. I am worthy. I deserve to be here. I can do anything I want to do. So that when you hit these barriers and these challenges, that they're not necessarily hard walls that you can't make it through. And I think that that's one of the biggest gifts. And I feel like it's, it's a different at least from my experience at a PWI and a lot of the people I've talked to is you're not taught that level, that level of resilience isn't in the culture. You know, if, if I, if I had it to rebrand or if I could start, I'm, I might start speaking of it this way, you know, going to a HBCU. Yeah. They may be smaller campuses, but I mean, think about how many other things we think of. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a small batch handcrafted educational go. experience. For it's a it's a bespoke <laughs> education. <laughs> I love it. It is. Uh, and I'll say two things real quick. And it was actually a, a friend of mine, and we were talking about a very similar topic. Uh, 
and uh, about being prepared and, and whether you can compete coming out of an HBCU. And he said, on the first day of our, I think it was a physics, it was some science class. He said, our teacher held up the book, said, this is the same book they use at Harvard. Two plus two is four here. Two plus two is four in Boston. You are every bit as qualified to do whatever it is that you want to do when you leave here as they are when they leave there. So don't ever let anybody tell you that you are not uh, qualified to, to do whatever it is that you want to do. And the second thing I'll say is I recently read uh, Charles Blow's book, mm-hmm. The Devil You Know. And he talks about, and I heard him on a podcast as well, and he went to Grambling. And he talked about how every room I walked into at Grambling, I knew the smartest person mm-hmm. in there was going to be a black person. And mm-hmm. that, in the society that we live in, you don't actually often get to experience that. And that actually does something tremendous for, uh, as you alluded to, the resilience that you have. Mm-hmm. Because I know I can do that. It's there for me to see on full display every day. And I think that matters a tremendous amount. And we, I don't know that we sell mm-hmm. that enough. Mm-hmm. I used to break the curve at Georgia Tech when I transferred over there every test. Tell you. me I'm not smart as you kids over here. I'm, um, you want to come to me for tutoring? Because I'll be there Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6 to 8, in the Love old med office. <laughs> Love Shout it. out to the old med office, Office of Minority like Educational it. Development at Georgia Tech. They do, they do good things, too. Okay, so how I much like of that. what we're talking about is actually dealing with our own psychosis or trauma as black kids growing up in America of, the, of being so conditioned to believe that we are less or have less, mm-hmm. you know, how much of that is just the acknowledgement of, of that whole piece. You know, we keep talking about people being reinforced that we are not less. Where else is that happening for black folks in America? Well, that's why sure. these environments are special because <laughs> there yeah. aren't, there aren't a lot of places where it's reinforced, especially outside of your home or your church, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So so what makes these institutions unique is it's an entire institution whose purpose is to reinforce that for you. It's and I'm deprogramming the stuff that you've got uh, conditioned to believe from zero, from K to 12, right? Right. And in that sense, to me, I think that's a huge part of the discussion when you're talking with middle schoolers, high schoolers about where they should be choosing school and their parents really t- talking to their parents about why you should be encouraging or highly considering an HBCU for Which your son or daughter. more interesting in these uh, pandemic times because before the pandemic, HBCU admissions had gone down slightly. There was a bump around mm. the Mike Brown verdict and era where mm. they went up, then they started leveling off again as we were hitting into 2019. We get into the pandemic, we see the George Floyd uh, incident happened and all the other the Brianna Taylor incident happened we see HBCU enrollment is now at an all-time high and admission and, and applications to HBCUs are at an all-time high. Howard, your institution, my daughter was thinking about that for a hot second 
I'm glad I convinced her otherwise. No offense to you, <laughs> but <laughs> but but uh, she she uh, their enrollment is so at an all time high. You you see that they have Kamala Harris, the VP, that they're they're having early admissions process, and they have like a tiered admission system going on now because they're getting so many applications. Um, it's 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 now a conversation that more people are having the importance of the HBCU in this day and age, where before the conversation was, are they still relevant in this day and age? And that conversation has now yeah. shifted that, oh, no, they're not only relevant, they're still extremely important. And we're seeing that mm-hmm. play out in the, like I said, the admission process. It's something in my household, us being two HBCU grads, we talk to everybody about we talk to every kid that of color that comes into our house about that. They see it on our walls. We have artwork mm-hmm. from one of our own alumnus on our walls, and we point that out. And so our kids are indoctrinated, you know, unless, you know, it's basically this is your choice. But really, if you want me to pay for it, <laughs> this is your choice. But, uh, you know, we, we support them if they want to go somewhere else. But our daughter has made the right decision in going and choosing Xavier. So uh, it's, it's get to your point. It's the conversation that we got to continue to champion because my fear is two, three years down the line, we're past the pandemic. We're moving on as a country. It becomes less of a topic of conversation again. And now we're starting to see that slide again in enrollment and and people pushing, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get in, uh, sending your application to an HBCU. So I think it is something us as alumnus have to champion continuously. And don't underestimate the the momentum that can be started with stuff yes. like what Deion Sanders is doing. You know, bringing more attention, not just to the academics and to the, uh, you know, the intellectual excellence that you can get in HBCU, mm-hmm. but the sports programs. Like if that's if that starts to turn and you start to get more, uh, you know, premium level athletes go choosing black colleges, it changes the game in a financial way that they hadn't seen before. There's going to be a lot of pushback because, you know, you can't mess with money. But um, we'll see. We'll see what that does. But I think when you talk about mm-hmm. maintaining that interest, that's always been one of the one of the reasons that people will give, well, I want my son to get drafted and, you know, the drafts go here, et cetera, et cetera. It hurts his chances. If that is no longer the case, you could also see that shift happening on the sports side, like it already has on the academic side. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm all for it. Dwayne. It- and, no, Rob mentioned something that absolutely gets under my skin every time I hear it. And that question is, are yes. HBCUs relevant? And that discussion, uh, it, my blood yeah. pressure goes yeah. up every time I hear that. And it, it pisses me off because nobody would say, well, why does the Jewish mm. kid want to go to a yeshiva? Why does the Catholic kid want to go to Notre Dame? Why does the Mormon mm-hmm. kid want to go to BYU? Those are all religions that you can practice. You can choose or not to choose to be to practice those. I don't just get to be black on Sunday. I'm black mm-hmm. every freaking day of the week. So why is it unreasonable for a black kid to want to go to an institution that mm-hmm. honors and respects them in their totality? So 
that they're always going to be relevant. It's not, are they still relevant? Well, if you ask that question, you have to then go to mm-hmm. Notre Dame and say, is this still relevant? You have to then go to the Jewish mm-hmm. yeshiva and say, is this still relevant? And you also have to go to BYU and say, mm-hmm. is this still relevant? And if you're not having that conversation with them, you best not come and have that yep. conversation with me because it's it's the same. It's not different. It's It's how do you address those people that have those concerns? And yes, we've all talked about why it benefits us to go to our institutions. And I believe that Catholics and Jesuits who go to Georgetown get what they need from going to those institutions. So don't then tell me I can't go get what I need from my institution. I feel that, like there that's, needs to be a, that's a great point. I'm, I'm actually I'm putting that in my <laughs> mental Rolodex because I will be using those talking points going forward. I, I've always just used it in the context of uh, until we are truly a society that is colorless and blind to religion and sex, all of it is relevant. But I will be using those talking points as I sit in the state of Notre Dame. I'm definitely using that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think that the issue that came up earlier about kind of everyone giving their flowers and and for us to work on finding a balance between confidence and humility is important because I think sometimes when we're all moving quietly, gangster, <laughs> as Joy would say, gangsta doesn't sound right when I say it. I, I can I can acknowledge my limitations. Is that sometimes don't people don't realize the level of excellence that's happening. So they start doing these comparisons. Well, if you go to here, you have this access, but if you go to this HBCU, you only have this access. When in reality, if if people actually know us, then they'll know, oh, the all these HBCU people, you don't just have the vice president, you have people that have literally changed the political climate with Stacey Abrams. You have all these people just doing all these phenomenal things you can still if you want to go up to harvard you can go up there it's it's just all of this access and all of these things people are doing that sometimes people don't realize that these are people from hbcus that are actually doing it so listen this conversation is nothing without you so stay right there and we will be right back after a message from our sponsors better with dr erica Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Let me introduce you to Better Nation. Better Nation is the community of people that follow the Better with Dr. Erica podcast that are like you and want to be better, do better, and live better. By becoming a member of Better Nation, you also get to receive member-only bonus content to put you officially in the inner circle, show notes with timestamps so you don't have to search for your favorite moments, and some bonus free coaching tools. So visit joinbetternation.com, that's joinbetternation.com, to become a VIP and be a part of Better Nation. Back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. All right, all right, all right. So today 
It's going to be popcorn style. So we're doing it a little bit differently because I have multiple people. You all get the same questions, but everyone can answer yep. them. Sound like a plan? Yep. What are your top three favorite songs? I gave three because sometimes it's hard to pick one. Like all time or currently? All time. Um, nice. Shy if I ever fall in love. Wow. <laughs> hey, you. Um, <laughs> wow. Man. Uh, so I'll say before I let go, Frankie Mays. Okay. Uh, yes. Frankie, Frankie Beverly and Mays. Um, man. Yeah, I didn't know. I thought this was an easy song. one. I didn't know I was going to nah. stop people with this one. <laughs> nah. That's, that's, that's requesting uh, that's the, a lot of... Uh, yeah. You well, know how much music we've listened to? Well, that's why you gave... That's why I said three. <laughs> I just said three. No, or three, yeah. three that you like a lot. Marvin Gaye, I, I want you. I used to mm-hmm. love her uh, by Common. And I don't know what the third one would be. I'm going to go um, with two. Uh, okay. Two. I ain't no joke by Eric B and Rakim. That's 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 okay. uh, all time. My kids know that I'll play that in the car when I'm trying to get hyped. Um, Always and Forever by Heatwave because that's me. That's me and my wife's wedding oh. song. Um, and the last one would, I think if I if I really need to really really get hyped, it's gonna be a shout out to the ATL. I remember getting this mixtape on Carrollton and Tulane at the Peaches Records. It's gonna be um, "Bombs Over Baghdad." Peaches by by. <gasps> yes. This man said no songs uh, you know from what? Chicago. And that, that's funny because, because I, I handled that for. I really can't say they're my favorites, but I, but I got artists that I like. Okay. I mean, I I can mess with some Kanye stuff, but they're not my go tos. Oh, house music! No house music. You just going in another route. See. That's a that's whole like other a, thing. It's like a whole genre. Y- y'all, yeah, y'all said yeah. songs. Y'all so said songs. I don't one, know. It's going to be uh, my house music favorite is Washing Machine. And I still play that one around the house when I'm when I'm cleaning up. The kids like hate it. They're like, what are we listening to? <laughs> what is this? Mark. <laughs> yep. Mm. Oh, who knew? So maybe this one's easier. What is one free thing that you do for self care? Free. Drink water, drink tea. Meditate. Hot bath. So, uh, Erica knows this. I had COVID and I had COVID really bad. And actually, um, it, it hit me really hard. Um, so, the day that I came out of it knowing that I was going to be okay. I turned the music up loud and had like a dance party in the middle of my family room. So, so now I love when it. I need self-care, that's what I do. I turn the music up loud and just dance with my kids and my wife because um, it was, it was scary for a minute. It was scary for a minute. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate I'm glad that. you made appreciate it that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, that's my self-care dancing with my kids and my wife and uh, doing that. That's free. That is free. I play games and listen to music and read. Okay. Those are my self-care things. And since we mentioned reading, and I know everyone kind of reads, what what books are y'all reading or listening to right now? 
400 Souls by Ibram Kendi and Keisha Blaine. They curated like literally 400 stories going from 1619 to 2019. Cool. Get the audiobook version. It's awesome. Nice. That is nice. I'm going to go with uh, Bliss Moore by Light Watkins. I actually uh, recommended that to one of my patients. There you go. Well, multiple patients. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Keep talking, B. No. Bliss Moore is a fantastic book written by a very good friend of mine, a meditation expert. He's my personal guru who wrote a book that presumably you could start reading in New York and be done with oh, by wow. the time you landed in Los Angeles and have a built-in you know, understanding of the what's and why's and how's oh, of a basic meditation practice. So- I have to quickly say, when I had him on my podcast, I mentioned that it's a book that only someone that went to an HBCU could do because there's a period where he actually talks about when you have all these thoughts going through your head and he compares how to manage it. He does an analogy with questions. (laughs) I'm like, you're the only person that could do a meditation book that talks about questions. The game questions. Yes. Right. The, game the one questions. that Joy would yeah. take all my drinks for because I don't drink right. and I was I was horrible. And so she, she cussed me out. Good at questions. <laughs> right. And so That's on why that she note, was a designated driver. <laughs> <laughs> to that note, because you we didn't mention it, Light is a HBCU product and oh. he's a member of your yeah, fraternity. I'll be getting that book. Mm-hmm. No, no. It took that much to get about it anyway. <laughs> I was gonna get it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm reading a because I'm in this leadership stuff. I'm reading the leadership in turbulent times by Doris Goodwin. So it's a it's a book about how leaders handle uh, different situations and different historical periods. So you related to Doris, Erica? <laughs> I do not believe yeah. so. Oh, okay. And I'm reading, uh, I just finished reading Elizabeth and Hazel. It's about the, um, if you remember the the picture of the Little Rock Nine where the, the black girl's walking and there's a white girl behind her. Mm-hmm. Black oh, girl's wow. Elizabeth and the white girl's Hazel. And it, it just talks about oh, wow. uh, their stories and what happened to them after that. And mm-hmm. it was actually pretty interesting because all those people are still here from all the civil rights era pictures and the the victims and the the victimizers are all mm-hmm. most of them are still here. So I find it fascinating to uh, see what the actual story was and was mm. there any growth afterward and all that. And then I started reading The Color mm. of Law when I finished that. Okay, Color of Law is so good. It is. Well, and I always love asking these kinds of questions because it's like you always find some great stuff to read. Um, so th- I'm actually going to chime in on this one because I just finished reading, well, listening to a really good mm. book called Burnout by Amelia and Emily Nagoski. Um, that is really good. And right now I'm listening to The High Five Habit. So my last speed round question is, what would you like to be remembered for? Ooh. Quickly for me, round questions. Yeah, (laughs) mine is easy though. It's the impact I had on my community. Period. See, he's he's sharp and quick because he's looking so sharp today. (laughs) Um, I want to be remembered for changing the way people see each other. Awesome. Oh, yeah. 
I like to connect people. I like to, you know, people that can help each other out. I like to try to facilitate that as much as possible. So I guess I'd like to be remembered. I'm, I'm going to be dead honest. Mine is really simple. I just want to be remembered as being a good husband and father. That's awesome. Yeah. That matters. I'm a child psychiatrist. I see plenty of kids that I'm like, it takes work to actually raise mm-hmm. good human beings. And there are some people that are not willing to put in the work mm-hmm. to raise good human beings. I think I just <laughs> said that out loud. No, it's, it's, I, I think that's it's a, something that we all know. <laughs> we, we've all uttered the phrase, right. some people should not be allowed to be parents. Mm-hmm. Mm. So... <laughs> Well, the first thing I have to say is this has been such a wonderful experience. I'm so excited every time I get a chance to bring different people from different parts of my life. And I'm going to let you in on a secret, y'all out there. This is my first time seeing Dwayne on any platform. So he's not one of my old friends. So I love meeting new people. I love bringing people together and just being able to have this type of dialogue and have the opportunity to share it with everyone. So first, I want to say thank you to all of you for showing up and and just bringing such wonderful wisdom and showing passion for something that's just really important. So I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guests. Now, the next thing I want to ask quickly is, I know people are going to love what you have to say. Can you tell the people where they can find you if you want to be found? Now, if you want to be off the grid, there's no pressure. Um, we'll start B. You can find me at 7.community. S-E-V-E-N dot community. It's a place, safe place for black conversations. It's troll-free. It's ad-free. Uh, it's just a space where we can celebrate each other where we can conspire. I don't know if you've ever been in the Facebook uh, penalty box, but it's real. As soon as George Floyd thing happened, you know, and we had some things to talk about and we were unable to talk about them in the space that we'd adopted as our core communications area. And uh, that, that, uh, you know, was something that I couldn't allow to stand. So uh, my, my friends and and family got together, figured out how we could create a space that could support our conversations that we need to have internally uh, and in a place where we wouldn't be ridiculed or mocked or put in a penalty box by outsiders. So I'd love for you to join seven dot community. All right. Now, Dwayne, I'm on seven dot community as well. And uh, B did his thing with seven. And I would highly encourage you all to, to join seven is it is a space that is necessary because we do often get put in the uh, uh, face. We often get put in Facebook jail for saying what is truly on our hearts and minds. And if I'm thinking it needs to be said, I need to have a conversation about it. Then you can't tell me I can't have a conversation about it. All right now. And also be left off. He does have a podcast where he talks about some of these things oh. called the black futurist. So I want to encourage you to, you can actually find it on the same platform that you are listening to this right now. So I, I encourage you to check it out and give it a follow and subscribe. And, you know, if you have a little extra love, give it a rating and a review. Thanks so much for that. E. And you should also encourage people. Well, I will encourage people to listen to advisory mode. 
Uh, I think it, it falls right in line with the child psychiatry uh, frame framework and uh, B and his wife, Jamie, do a really good job on that show. Thank and you. I'm not just saying that because they invited me on every once in a while. <laughs> Robert, check, I'd love to check have... it out on the YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's really a conversation between parents who are now uh, dealing with oh, wow. the transition of becoming empty nesters. And also creating black family media, you know, where uh, where we can have conversations that sound like our conversations at, at the kitchen table, you know, about things we're going through. I, I, there definitely weren't a lot of resources for me with that. Uh, and I just wanted to create a space for that. Yeah, he has some old kids, too. He does. <laughs> Joy, got to go. Where, where, where can we find yeah, you, Joy? Sorry about that, Joy. Um, if you if you work anywhere in corporate America or work for anyone in the United States and you feel like your company could do with some diversity, equity, inclusion training, you can find me at www.yoursdp.com. It stands for Your Strategic Diversity Partners. Awesome. And we will come get them right. Have them get educated by an HBCU grad about what's really going on in the country. I mean, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you my Instagram. That's why I got it's uh, Rob Russ 2 and you can DM me wherever there. How's that not 06? Because, because somebody <laughs> probably had that, and I was confused on the line, so it became 02. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's All right, great. y'all. So I guess I have one quick parting word. The first is number one. Keep an eye out for who is in your crew and who is connected to your crew. You never know who's around. And also keep an eye out for what's going on with them because sometimes there's greatness literally in arm's Mm -hmm. reach and you may not know it. So I want to encourage you to be present and realize who is around you because one of the ways we are going to get to where we want to be is together. And it's through community. And it's one of the things I love about all of my guests because all of them are excellent at facilitating community. So I want to encourage all of you to to reach out and be part of community because you just never know what it's going to give back to you, not only personally, but professionally also. And we're all, there are periods right now, there's so much going on that a lot of people are going jumping on and off of the struggle bus. And part of the ways we get off the struggle bus is with community. Because I don't want you to just be on the struggle bus and never actually get off of it. Because that is super whack. So I want to say thank you to all my guests again. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate that you had many choices of things you could be doing right now. And podcasts you could be listening to. But you chose to have myself and my guests up in your ears today. So thank you so much. And as we said before... I need a couple favors. One is please share. I don't want this to be the best kept secret. And a lot of these conversations around historically black colleges and universities are really necessary for people to hear. And I want you to know that this is not necessarily an exhaustive conversation, but it's a great place to start having more conversations. The next thing is, if you like it, please follow or subscribe the podcast. And also, if you can, rate and review. Makes things much better. Makes me be able to bring more content to you. And After that, I just want to tell you, you know you can find me. New episodes come on Tuesdays. But until next time, have a better day. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button. 
then click share and click rate and review. Now don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. But I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica.